0: Hello and welcome back to another edition of The Alonzo Bet, we your hosts, I'm Aaron.
1: And I'm Sam.
0: And we have another excellent episode for you today. This is the first episode of the football season. So while we are a baseball podcast at heart, and while our focus is advanced analytics, you know, Sam and I are keeping our eyes on a lot of different sports, that includes the NBA, the NFL, occasionally some other ones, including hockey and soccer. But right now, the NFL is the big buzz. So first, we're going to talk about the NBA playoffs because they are heating up. And then we're going to talk about uh, NFL week one. Then we'll go into our bread and our butter. We're looking at the MLB picture right now. Some news out of the MLB world. If you're following us on Twitter, you already have an idea of what we might drop on you. If not, you've got to wait. Go follow us at the Alonzo Bet on Twitter, and you'll know next time. And uh, then we're going to finish it off with some fan mail that we've been getting. A couple people, really interesting topics that they want to talk about. So we'll be getting to those. But Sam.
1: And uh, Aaron, Aaron, you forgot the most important part. We'll be doing some MLB award picks.
0: Oh, and of course, the most important part, we'll be doing MLB award picks. But Sam, that was the surprise for those of us who don't follow us on Twitter. Um, But now they know. And that's okay. Um, (laughs) Why don't you start this journey off? by telling us what's been happening in the NBA. Um, we're on to the conference finals. In both conferences, things are getting crazy. Bring us up to speed.
1: Yeah, so let's let's talk about how we got here. And I'd say in both cases, there were two somewhat boring series. The Heat won in five games against the Bucs, which was in itself a very surprising result. But the series itself ended up being kind of boring, although there were, at least game two was a very exciting game. was well, surprising
0: the, that the Heat won, but then extra surprising, obviously, that the it was a boring series because the Heat just took care of business and the exactly. Bucks could not keep up. And, crazy. And
1: we'll definitely talk about this Heat team a, a bit more in a second. And then in in the Western Conference, the Lakers really dismantled the Rockets. The Rockets never looked like they were in the series. Um, LeBron looked incredible. You know, Hargan and Westbrook looked bad and I, I think it's now it's time to like legitimately ask the question they have so much money on the books with westbrook they gave up picks and chris paul to get them where do they go from here because this team is not going to win a championship as currently constructed and it's and it's hard to see what they're supposed to do like I mean, I, we didn't
0: we didn't have this podcast when that trade went down but when it did we talked about it. And I always said, they're not gaining anything in this trade. Like, is, is mean, Russell Westbrook a better, more dynamic player than Chris Paul at this point in their respective careers? Yes. But in terms of the Rocket system, did they gain anything? I don't think so. And then the way it played out seems to verify that, although that doesn't necessarily make it true.
1: Well, I'll, I'll respond to two points there. One – I wouldn't even say it's true that Russell Westbrook is a better player now. In fact, Chris Paul was clearly the better player this year in the NBA.
0: I was just—I I was trying to go along with uh, convention, but obviously, but, I agree with
1: you. I, I think the—I think maybe the, the bigger question is—is is how fractured was the James harvin Chris Paul relationship? Did they have to move on from that?
0: Um, uh, I, I never really thought that that was a big, uh, like, factor around the move.
1: It seemed like it's unclear how big it was, but it seemed like it was definitely part of it. But, you know, let's move on from the Rockets. Uh, And then there were two really exciting series that went to game sevens. The Celtics scraped by the Raptors in a tough game seven after the Raptors won an insane double overtime game Mm -hmm. today off the back of just an incredible performance by Kyle Lowry. Yeah, it is. I I continue to think is one of the most underrated players in the league. He's just so smart, such a winner, always making.
0: I don't even I don't know who else you would say. I mean, I guess Jamal Murray maybe before this last series, but I don't know. People sleep on Kyle Lowry. He's a champion, and he's been playing at this level forever.
1: And it's just so impressive out of the Raptors that they lost Kawhi Leonard and they came within one game of of getting back to the Eastern Conference Finals. It's just incredibly impressive. Um,
0: Well, Sam, I actually, I want to seize on that because there's a theme that I was going to wait to get to a little bit, but there's a theme around all of these discussions. At least this year in the NBA playoffs, the teams that are succeeding are the teams with, like, rigid organizational structure and well-defined, like, systems of play. And I think maybe the one exception you can – make is the Lakers because they really are the more traditional superstar loaded style of play that drove the Warriors to, you know, four out of five finals. Um, But what you see this year is you see the heat, you see the Celtics, you see the Nuggets, you see the Raptors, all succeed against very good teams because they do have a lot of well defined coaching structure that is allows them to play above their ability
1: yeah and and you know let's let's talk about the nuggets because that's the last last series we we forgot to talk about and of course for the second straight series they came back from 3-1 down they dug it against utah and now they dig it against a team that was probably the the championship favorites nobody expected them to do it against and they did it in, in a fashion in which they were really down a lot at halftime mm-hmm. in two straight games, games five and game six, and came back and just destroyed them in the second half. The game was closer going to halftime in game seven, but again, it was a story of two halves, and they just blew the Clippers out in the second half. And if and if you guys didn't have a chance to watch it, go watch the maestro Stephen A. Smith's reaction to it. <laughs> I mean, it's just watching an entertainer at the top of his craft. But, I mean, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George were – they were no-shows. It was an, a complete and other embarrassing performance in Game 7 by the Clippers.
0: And, you know what, you have – I mean, to- I wouldn't call Kawhi – oh, in Game 7, they were no-shows. In the series Kawhi played, PG had one game. In a seven-game series, you know, for them to center the offense around, you know, maybe – 60 40 between the two of them ball share Kawhi leonard pg for the big touches he did not play at the level he needs to to win for, throughout the lifetime yeah. of the series
1: and boy did they give up a lot for him five first round picks yeah they also gave up uh shea gilgis alexander who's a great great young player um and you know the question the question is Doc, becomes, is
0: doc a good coach that's the question that I have. And the reason Sam paused there, by the way, folks is of course, because uh, the Braves are plating runners at just a blinding clip against Steven Matz right now. He cannot focus when he's seeing his Mets playoff chances slip away. We'll get to that. Let's not, let's not get into it. You tell me if you think Doc Rivers is a good coach today. He... No,
1: I don't think he's a bad coach. I, 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 okay, that's good. fair. I. There, yeah, there are guys I'd clearly rather have, but there are a lot of guys I would not rather have.
0: That's because the NBA employs the most incompetent coaches of any sport, probably.
1: Total, totally disagree. I think. NFL oh, the coaches, NFL.
0: The NFL. Sorry.
1: I, I actually think there, the NBA has a lot of good coaches. I just think. I'd say it's like
0: 50 50.
1: I think it's hard to coach in the NBA, and like, there are some really innovative, good coaches. And it makes the guys who, like, aren't that innovative look really bad. But I think, mm. I think it's more a question of, like, there's a lot of coaching talent in the league.
0: It's an interesting take. So let's look forward um, from what's happened to what's happening. And in the Eastern Conference, you already have the Heat steal two games from the Celtics. And I'll tell you that game one was something that won me a lot of money in the betting world. And at the end of the game, uh, at the end of regulation, they call a blocking foul, a terrible, a terrible blocking foul on an inbound, and they get the bonus shot and one. The Celtics were down three. They were able to tie it to go to overtime. I lost my mind. But then the Heat are up uh, two. Jason Tatum goes for a dunk to tie the game. Bam out bio, rejects it at the rim with an amazing play, amazing play to win game one. Game two, the Heat took as well um as the braves just clobber baseballs out of the stadium don't
1: don't even tell me what's happening in this game anymore Aaron. i'm turning it off
0: let let me just you've officially turned it off
1: let, let, let me just say one thing before you continue two days ago degrom gives up three runs in the second inning has to come out with hamstring tightness i text aaron i'm not watching another pitch of mets baseball this year they then come back and win that game yeah this is all true they come back they they fall down 6-3 yesterday they come back and win and i'm all the way back in i'm saying you know we're we're one and a half games back going going down the last 10 games we've got a shot i'm not watching again okay no more no more mets this year
0: sure i'll believe it when i see it so tell me, what you, tell me what you think about these series. The Heat are up 2-0, the Nuggets and Lakers haven't started yet. Where are you sitting? Are these both over? Are these both foregone conclusions? Or do you think that the underdogs, the team behind in terms of the Celtics, who originally came in as a favorite, and the Nuggets, who haven't started the series but are a major underdog, today have chances?
1: Well, I and mean, then the Celtics being down 2-0, that's a big
0: hole. It's a big hole. But a and... bunch of teams have come back 3-1 already. They split and, the next two. Uh,
1: they seem like they're starting to fracture. Marcus Smart, yeah, was screaming at people in the locker room yesterday, saying they're on that bullshit. Uh, reports,
0: which, which bullshit? We're not totally sure, <laughs> but they're
1: on that one. Reports that you know it got close to physical between between Jalen Brown and and maybe Jason Tatum. Uh, the team's falling apart, and the Heat. Boy, do they look good.
0: They're clicking on all cylinders. They're doing everything right.
1: And then people really need to apologize to Jimmy Butler. Oh, yeah. Jimmy Butler was catching so much flack for saying he was unhappy with the Timberwolves. So much flack for deciding to leave Philly where it seemed like they had the pieces there to win. And deciding to go to Miami where people really didn't think they could be a contender. Right. Jimmy's been saying, you know, I care about a winning culture for all these years. And I was reading a, a Zach Lowe piece about this yesterday. And, and he, when he was on the Bulls, he talked to Dwayne Wade and Dwayne Wade sort of told him, I think I might have underestimated how incredible the culture was in Miami. And that really stuck with Jimmy, that he wanted to go somewhere where the culture was that good. And 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 he told his agent, get me to Miami. They made it
0: work. and. And I mean, he's pushing them. He's, he's not even scoring that much, but he's just – and he has had some good scoring performances. But he is just playing at a level that we have never seen him play before. We've seen him be a great scorer. We've seen him flash some stuff on the other side of the ball and in the playmaking game. But he is doing everything his team needs him to do to win right now, playing in that winning system and being more valuable than he's ever been, even though he's scoring less.
1: And, and give the Heat credit for, for building a t- contender like this without ever tanking. They did it by grabbing yeah. by grabbing ban at the end of the lottery, by yeah. grabbing Tyler Harrow at the end of the lottery, by getting an undrafted free agent in Duncan Robinson who's just playing like Clay Thompson.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's insane. And, They're literally, their whole team is just all in one right now. They're all clicking, which makes them dangerous in the playoffs because they got rhythm right now.
1: And, and also, I mean, I, I think it's not to say he hasn't gotten his due. He's He's recognized as a great coach, but but like I feel like Spolstra, for a lot of his early career as a coach, didn't get the credit he deserved because it was all attributed to LeBron and Wade.
0: Yeah, 100%. But I do think people, and I'm not saying I was one of these people, but I do think I've read a lot of things like basketball writers who knew, saw him. They saw that he'd worked under Pop, and they saw what he brought from the San Antonio culture into Miami. And I think a lot of astute people always knew that he was this good and that they were building something very special there. And credit to Pat Riley as well, who has just found a way to like keep a organization running well and running a very good ball club for many years in a row now.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think at this point, Spoltra is arguably the best coach of the last decade in the NBA.
0: and. Uh, it depends, well, but like Pop still is though, because Pop is like one of the top three coaches all time, probably.
1: Yeah, all time, but I think, you know, obviously there were those Spurs teams against against the Heat uh, who were very good. I have been a bit unimpressed with the Pop of the last few years.
0: Um, I, I yeah, I, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying.
1: And Spolstra just continues to to evolve and 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 do new stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I love watching the Heat team. I'm I'm not counting the Celtics out. They're a great team, and Brad Stevens is of course himself a great coach. Uh, but I'm a, uh, I'd love to see the Heat team in the finals. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: Me too.
1: So with that, let's get to the Western Conference Finals, uh, which is between the the Nuggets and Lakers. And the question is, can the Nuggets do it again?
0: I mean, yes, because. There is a significant amount of randomness in this, but I think what we've seen so far is just that the Lakers are a juggernaut. And while the Nuggets can pick apart teams with holes and they can grind and find ways to win, and obviously they have some type of dynamic, um, adaptive game plan going on because they don't come out and do the same thing every night which is really interesting in this setting um i'll give that to them they they are gonna take a game or two but the lakers are just so complete so good and have so much experience in lebron alone that i i just don't see a way that the nuggets win the series
1: lebron's not gonna choke like,
0: yeah, he, he hasn't, he never has. Like, he's not going to.
1: I'll also, like, people being like, is as good as LeBron, get that out of your fucking mouth.
0: Like, maybe as a two way player in an individual game, like, you wouldn't, if you had to play both offense and defense against one player in the league, the last person you'd want to play against is probably Kawhi. But don't tell me that he's, like, better at basketball or better at leading his team than LeBron. LeBron is the best in the world still at LeBron, a
1: LeBron would not be caught dead having the game set in the Kawhi just had.
0: Oh, no. Never would, never will. Yeah. All right. So we're on the same page there. Um, guys, basketball's fun right now, despite the freaky holograms they have in the stands. Make sure you're watching it. Make sure you're checking out Live Bets because let me just let you in on a hot tip right here, guys. There's a lot of comebacks in NFL or in NBA playoffs. Okay. Nine points in the third quarter means nothing. 12 points at halftime means not too much. If you're getting really good odds, plus 600 plus 700 plus 800, chuck a couple bucks on there because that that's good odds for what you're looking at in the playoffs, specifically regular season game, all bets are off. So Speaking of things we like to bet, let's look at the NFL. Sam, <laughs> um, week one netted you and I probably total minus ten dollars. Would be my. Day.
1: It was way more than minus ten to me.
0: Oh, okay. So I I was actually plus a few. So I thought maybe uh, we were gonna offset, but oh no, you were plus because you got the Chiefs with no brainer bet.
1: So you still uh, were uh, plus. Okay, yeah. If we count that, I was plus, but
0: I yeah. I, I, I minus almost all of that. <laughs> okay, so, so tell me what really got you. Tell me what hurt you the most. I mean, I just made about like
1: 12 first TD bets and none of them happened.
0: Ah, I hate when that happens because I always do that as well. You get amazing odds. Last night I had Nick Chubb to punch in, or uh, Kareem Hunt to punch in the first TD. Of course, they finally start giving the ball to Nick Chubb, which is good for my fantasy team. Your mom takes my Chubb but it is not as good uh, for that person. You say that, but
1: you've been shopping Nick Chubb around
0: today. Oh, he's the best player in the NFL, and I must, I absolutely must uh, give somebody the deal of a lifetime on him, Sam, because he's really good. He doesn't deserve to be on my losing team. He deserves to be on your winning team. I'll take your top two running back. So um, (laughs) what games did you like the most in week one? Let's forget about the browns Bengals, which is just whatever.
1: Uh, well, the, the Chiefs look every bit as good as, as they did last year. Yeah. Cam looks like the real deal for Belichick. I think it was against the Dolphins, so we'll see. But
0: Cam, folks, he only threw for 155 yards, Uh, and he didn't put one in the end zone with his arm. But he did put two in the end zone on the ground. Clocked at almost 20 miles an hour in one of those runs. This man is a truck. He's a freak athlete. We forgot about it because he's been a little injured. Um, I, I don't know what this is going to look like against a good defense. So Miami obviously could not stop the run. or They took advantage of that or a play action or an option set run. They took advantage of that. Um, but can he throw the ball? I didn't really see the whole game. But from what I did see, I saw some pretty standard throws. You know, it's not hard for a quarterback to throw for 155 yards in a football game. Um, I didn't really see him do anything too crazy, and they only gave him 19 shots at tossing the ball. So, I'll be curious to see how how that offense plays out. Um, but what we can say is, everybody worried about all the Patriots defensive players opting out of the season. The Patriots defense looks fine.
1: They look good. Yeah. Uh,
0: um, a a game that I was glued to, Sam, Week One, <laughs> Seahawks Falcons. This was kind of a really good game because I'm a little high on the Falcons with Todd Gurley. I think what they've lacked in the last couple of seasons has been a running game. Devontae Freeman never really got it done. Matt Ryan is a good quarterback. It's hard to play when people know you're not going to run the ball or you're only going to run the ball up the middle. That's not a combination that works. You need a little bit of dynamic um, or dynamism on your offense. So I thought they were going to be better this year. They certainly look good coming out of the gate. Uh, against the Hawks. It was a close game until the third quarter when the Hawks put up 14. But the reason I want to talk about this is because I heard somebody on ESPN today talking about how um, Russell Wilson has been kind of underappreciated in the league. I think that's a massive understatement. Russell Wilson, for the last six seasons, has honestly been the best quarterback in the nfl there are people who are comparable to him i think aaron Rodgers over that stretch is comparable to him i think tom brady even could be comparable even though he had started to decline um but he has just been as good if not better than everybody else in football over that time frame he's amazing
1: yeah i mean i totally agree with you of course putting aside mahomes who's only been Sort of two right, years.
0: he doesn't count because he's he's only got the two years, right? So he can't yeah. compete with that.
1: No, I agree. And but the story of the Seahawks for the last however many years has been they've had arguably the best quarterback in the NFL, and yet Pete Carroll's still been obsessed with running the football. Um, True. And something that I found encouraging for the Seahawks in Week One is they kind of just let Russ cook.
0: I mean, he had 35 pass attempts, and when I saw this, I was laughing. He was 31 for 35, Sam. That's insane. The guy threw the ball 35 times, and he only failed to connect on four of those. And it's not like he was getting chipped. He had 322 yards. He's got, like, almost nine yards of pass there. Four touchdowns in the air. Carlos Hyde put one in on the ground for them, which is good. Chris Carson, I told everybody he was going to be bad. Nobody wanted to listen to me, although he did – take two in on the pass. So I'm sorry. I am backing this up immediately. He had quite a good week for fantasy. <laughs> last
1: week.
0: He put two in the end zone on the pass. That is a good side for Chris Carson owners, which shows you how disgusting PPR is. But on the Falcon's side, um, you know, besides for the abominable performance by Russell Gage and Calvin Ridley, that cost me uh, week one in a different league than I play with you, Sam, they pass the ball. Well, uh, they didn't rush particularly well. That's what we've seen. And if that's what they're going to do, they're not going to be great. They need Todd Gurley to play like Todd Gurley two, three years ago um, if they're going to actually have a chance of being a contender in the playoffs. So I know you want to talk about the Jets and I want to talk about the Cardinals. I actually, I actually
1: don't want to talk about the Jets. So, Oh, move.
0: okay. Well, then I do want to talk about the Cardinals <laughs> because <laughs> let's go, baby. This is Redbirds Nation over here. And Kyler Murray, in a 24-20 to win, looked good enough to make the Cardinals a playoff team. I'm not going to say he looked great, because he's not great. I've always felt this way about him. He is a good enough passer and a good enough runner, but he's not great at either one of them. And he doesn't yet have the ability to combine the two into kind of like a positive feedback loop where they make him better in each regard. He looked good enough for them to win, and their defense, of course, highlighted by Buda Baker, who's an absolute stud, um, played quite well. DeAndre Hopkins brought in 14 passes. The next highest pass receiver was Larry Fitz at four. That's a good sign, of course. Fantasy owners, be frustrated. Chase Edmonds only caught three passes, but he did put one in for a touchdown while Hopkins got zero touchdowns thrown to him. Um, and uh, but-
1: Kenyon Drake uh, punched in a a. a- BS goal line TD Mm. after the Hopkins, uh, TD. And that was actually against me.
0: That's got to fire you up. That's got to make you absolutely livid. But I, I'm encouraged by this. I do think the Niners, um, came into the season overrated. So I'm not taking too much out of this, but I think this division is weak. I think the Rams are pretty weak. I think the Seahawks are going to be good. Um, but not great. So I think the Cardinals have a real shot here uh, at playing above 500 football, which as we know, could easily let you into the playoffs.
1: That, that That's a hot take that the NFC West is weak. Cause I feel like if anything, people would say it's one of the best divisions in football.
0: I guess it depends on how you feel about the Rams. So we saw the Rams put a hurting on the Cowboys, but. I don't know. Their, their defense is definitely good. Jared Goff did not look good enough to convince me that their offense is going to be okay. And certainly, don't talk to me about Malcolm Brown punching two in because like, that means nothing to me in week one. We see this all the time. Guys have good week one performances. I'm looking like trend-wise, and I don't know if Goff is going to be able to lead this team to a very strong offensive performance.
1: Yeah, we'll see. I, I, I think McVeigh is, is a great coach and I think...
0: Agreed. I agree get, with you there.
1: He'll get the best out of that team offensively. Um, all right, I'll talk about the
0: Jets. What on earth did I watch? <laughs> I, oh my God. I, I watched I, this whole game too, Sam, so, so I'm with you here, okay? I, I just... I, I legitimately believe
1: Sam Darnold has the talent to be one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. And I just don't understand how he's getting worse every year. I mean, what is Adam Gates
0: doing? He, no, he, Sam, Sam, what are you doing? All the evidence points to Darnold not being a good quarterback. Why are you so convinced that he is?
1: He has basically certain intangibles <laughs> that a lot of... Cor-
0: what, though? Like...
1: He, he basically, be? he has the ability to make certain off-book throws that, you know, only a select few quarterbacks have. It's sort of unteachable stuff. It's like Rodgers level, you know, things like that. Now, you need to be able to make the simple throws
0: too. And he, he just absolutely does not do.
1: He hasn't been doing that, but, like, the Jets sure as hell don't make it easy on him. Like, you watch other offenses and you're like, oh, they have a motion pre-snap they scheme an open throw for their receiver. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm watching other offenses. And I was like, they they make it look easy to gain 10 yards. I'm- well, in fairness,
0: there's no offense in New York that does that. <laughs> I mean, the if you want to talk about like bad offensive schemes and lineups, the Giants looked awful. Saquon Barkley, who is no one is denying, is one of the top five running backs in the league. is just incredible. He could not go anywhere because every time he got the ball, by the time it was in his hands, two massive linemen were already eating his lunch.
1: Yeah, their line looked bad uh, in the run. So
0: bad. Um, Well, listen, Sam, it's early in the season. The Bills are supposed to be good this year. The Jets didn't look awful. They showed some signs of life. It's always going to come back to is Darnold going to become that player that you, coaches, the media, has all seen the top-tier quarterback in him. If he doesn't become it, they have nothing, right? If he's a bad quarterback, they got nothing. They need him to be the guy. So we'll see if he's able to do it. Um, I guess really the only other um, game that is worth talking about, just because of the way it ended, was the Bears-Lions game. And sure, this is a rivalry kind of, whatever. But you guys need to see this if you haven't seen it. The score was 27-23, which, spoiler alert, is the final score of the game. The Lions have the ball on like the 20-ish with six seconds left to go. They get DeAndre Swift, the rookie running back, on a wheel route out of the backfield. He... He takes the throw, which is low and behind him, but that's the spot that he had to put it because there was a, a safety deep and two on either side. So actually, it's a dime ball. It's an absolute dime ball from Matt Stafford, which should not surprise you, but it's a, it's a bit of a floater. He tries to dance around, grabs it, looks like he secures it. All the announcers are going, oh, and the Lions win! And then turns around and drops the ball on the ground. <laughs> In just one of the most shocking and what had to be so upsetting for this rookie his first game in the NFL sometimes you can be like oh I cost my team the game there uh you know I missed the block on fourth down blah 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 this was no 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 the ball was in your hands you were in the end zone and the game was over and you could not secure the football that had to hurt like hell I feel bad for him um but uh Lions fans all over Twitter were saying the same thing This is what life is like as a Lions fan. This is what we do, and we're already in mid-season form. It's only the first game, but we are being the best Lions we can be Uh, right
1: now. woe is me, Lions fan. All
0: right, well, we'll definitely keep you up to date on the NFL, a little bit of our fantasy squads, too, uh, as the season goes on. Um, But now I think I can't wait any longer, okay? I'm ready to go. We got to talk a little bit of hardball, all right? We got to get into the MLB you have been itching this whole time. You just had to get the, the filth of the Jets off of you. You want to talk about good news in the Mets, Jets, Knicks trilogy of your sports fandom. Please, Sam, tell us what's going on on the Mets side.
1: Ding, dong, the wicked witch is dead.
0: <laughs> a legendary line, a, a quote for the ages. Uh,
1: the Mets have been sold... The Wilpons are no longer the owners of the Mets. Well, once it is approved by the the league, by the other owners in November, which is at this point, I believe, the formality. Steve Cohen has purchased the Mets for $2.45 billion from the Wilpons. I'm ecstatic. Steve Cohen will now become the richest owner in baseball, lifelong Mets fan. I think this offseason, we'll probably sign JT Romuto, um, Trevor Bauer, uh, maybe trade and Door. Um Yeah.
0: Here's probably. a couple of things, Sam. <laughs> Here's a couple of things. So I've been listening to uh, MLB Network on the radio on my way to work lately, and the guys I get in the morning are Tony Perez uh, and Steve something, I can't remember. The question that was posed to them this morning was, what's Steve Cohen going to do in his first uh, act as the Mets? Is he going to re-sign Conforto? Oh, is he going to sign JT Real Muto, Or is he going to stand pat and let the system develop? One guy said they were going to do nothing. The other guy said they're going to do everything. The Mets previously spent $19 million to get Mike Piazza. This is something directly he said, which is why I brought this up. So said the Mets previously spent $19 million to get Mike Piazza Steve Cohen just spent $19 million on a metal rabbit statue.
1: <laughs>
0: I'm like, first off, let me tell you something about art as an investment. Second off, let me tell you something about inflation, $19 million in the 90s. But where do you stand on that question? You think they're going to sign everybody.
1: I mean, I again, it remains to be seen. I can't say for sure that Steve Cohen's going to be a good owner. I can say...
0: He's going to be better than the Will Puns. Yeah. It doesn't matter. And I will, be
1: say, I will say, given everything that we know about him—that he's a lifelong Mets fan, that he's now the richest owner in baseball, that he's wanted to see a Mets World Series all his life—it simply, it's, it surely seems like he's going to Getting be motivated, willing yeah, to build up a big payroll. I love to see them re-sign Michael Conforgo. That's a cornerstone player. Let's
0: re-sign. I think they have to for the brand of the franchise, but. The thing about re Michael Conforto is he's great. He's shown us this year he's great. We're, we're going to talk more about him. He's not a player – I mean, they have DeGrom too, but I'm not sure that tandem is, is enough to win a championship. So he's going to have to open his pocketbook and fill some holes in that lineup for sure, and he's also going to have to work out the bullpen and the starting pitching. They have issues that they need addressed, and if they're going to go out and they're going to open their pocketbook for Conforto and you know, Conforto, they should do it for Real Muto, too, and they should buy a starter, or two because they're hurting in a lot of areas.
1: Well, I, I agree. I mean, okay, as far as their lineup goes, they've been the second-best offensive team in baseball this year.
0: So, I'm not— But that's driven by Dom Smith. Like, do you believe that Dom Smith is an everyday player when we go back to Noah DH?
1: Well, I think there's going to be DH next year.
0: Really? Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be super opposed. I used to be super opposed. I wouldn't be super opposed anymore, but I just don't see a reason to change it. It gives it a little flair. Whatever. We don't need to talk about that. Let's move on from the Mets. We've heard a lot about them. Um, Let's talk about what's going on in baseball at large. So a big announcement uh, two days ago, the players union and the owners agreed to uh, a framework for a playoff bubble. So the way it's going to work is that, starting one week before the season ends teams that are in contention for the playoffs. So that's kind of ambiguous from what I've seen. Is it everybody who's not mathematically eliminated? Is it teams who have a legit chance of winning the playoffs? How do we define legit chance or making the playoffs? I'm sorry. Anyway, but teams that are in contention, quote unquote, will be uh, quarantining in their hotels, even though they're still traveling state to state, they won't be allowed to leave their hotel. And then all of the playoffs will be played in a single state. So the American league is going to California where they'll play games at uh, Dodger stadium and Petco park in San Diego. While the national league heads to Texas, where well, they'll play games in Arlington uh, at the Rangers new stadium and in minute Maid at Houston stadium. And while they're there, they will be in an NBA style bubble, which of course is more feasible for a limited number of teams. So, um, The good news is it seems like MLB has actually taken COVID much more seriously since that Cardinals outbreak. You and I were both like, oh, no way this season finishes. This is a disaster. And to the credit of the players who we said were the main ones who needed to step up and the MLB who also stepped up, they are going to be able to play this whole season. And now they're saying, look, we acknowledge the risks here. Um, Of course they're doing it from a monetary perspective. They're not worried about the players. They're worried about making the revenue from the, playoffs but they say we recognize the risk here and we're going to make sure that uh we do whatever we can to minimize disruption to play minimize disruption to player health um and you know good for them i think this is the right thing to do uh the stadiums are all adequate although i'm not thrilled to see playoff games played in peco park like that's an awful place to hit um, but you know, it, they were gonna be played there in a regular season anyway because the um, Padres are quite good right now. Uh and we'll have to see how it goes. When we look at the playoff picture right now, Sam, we only have two teams who've clinched so far. The Dodgers and the White Sox have both clinched a playoff berth. Um, there are a lot of other teams who are still in the run in the running in the hunt right now. Who do you have getting in uh as the other seven teams in both divisions?
1: Um well, in the AL, I feel like...
0: I apologize. The Rays the Rays have also clinched.
1: I think the Yankees are also pretty close to...
0: No, 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 no. The Yankees are only at 580 winning percentage. The Rays and White Sox are both over 645, which is the threshold yeah, you need yeah, to sure clinch nothing. right now.
1: I mean, I, as far as the AL goes, I mean, it's basically decided who the A-teams are going to be. It. It's going to be the Rays, Yankees, Blue Jays, White Sox, Twins, Indians, A's, and Astros. I mean, the Orioles and the Mariners still have very outside shots. And the and the Angels, I guess. But those are going to be the eight playoff teams in the AM. Yeah, I agree
0: with you.
1: As far as the NL goes.
0: I mean, but I will just say one thing. If the Orioles and the Angels, you think, have an outside shot, then the Tigers and the Royals both have an outside shot. But let's just talk about... The Tigers cratered. I feel bad for them, but they had a real shot. Last time we were on this podcast, in their last 10, they've gone 3-7. and So, over in the National League, what do you got?
1: Okay, the Braves are going to be in the playoffs. The Cubs are going to be in the playoffs. The Dodgers are going to be in the playoffs. They've already
0: clinched, that's for sure.
1: And the Padres are going to be in the playoffs. Yeah, the
0: Padres are probably the next team in the MLB to clinch, would be my guess.
1: Those, Those four teams are going to be in the playoffs. Yeah. The other four spots are totally up for grabs. The only teams that don't really have any shot at them are the Diamondbacks, Pirates, and Nationals.
0: That's just rude, Sam.
1: But it's true. Yeah, but Um, it
0: doesn't make it not rude. It hurts still.
1: As far as who I think are going to get those other two spots, sorry, those other four spots, the Marlins are decently likely to, as much as it pains me to say it
0: and we're so mad too because we've been saying all along that of the Marlins and the Orioles surprises like the Marlins still aren't good. They're, <laughs> They're still really not playing not. good baseball.
1: But they they pull out wins and and that's what matters. Uh
0: they have Brandon Kinsler is is amazing this year. Like the amount that he has contributed to them nobody saw coming, I think.
1: I think the Giants are going to get one of the wild card spots. Really? Yeah.
0: Well, here's the thing, though. Sam, is they're not? I mean, they just, the Giants are not allowed to play in the playoffs uh, under any circumstances. So, certainly one of the central teams is going to have to take. The,
1: the thing is, like, they just have the wins in the bank, and with ten with ten games left, that matters. Like
0: you, you say, oh, someone. What do you won- mean they have the wins in the bank? They only have two more wins than the Cardinals or the Brewers, and they have the same number as the Phillies. Well,
1: well, yeah, but as I, they only need to get. Want, they only need to get one of those wildcard spots, and two, and, and and what I was just about to say is that you God say oh. me,
0: you're right. Oh, but the Brewers, no, they're they're really competing with two, three teams for sure. They're competing with three teams for one spot for sure, or for two spots, and then the Mets and the Rockies knocking on the back door. So. Three teams for two spots. Damn it, you're right. Plus the Mets and the Rockies kind of knocking on the back door. But oh, the Met, God, I'm so mad if I see the Giants in the playoffs. The Mets
1: are down six nothing already tonight.
0: Man, uh, I thought you weren't watching anymore.
1: I looked at the score.
0: Oh, <laughs> no, okay, <laughs> dog. All
1: right. Um, but like what I was what I was about to say is, you say oh someone's only two games back. Well, in ten games let's say that the team above you goes five and five well suddenly you need to go seven and three just to tie them like it's right. not that easy to make up two games in in 10 in 10 games like
0: that, that's definitely true that's definitely true and that's what's crazy about this shortened season is that you know i'm thinking of two games down the stretch as like oh they're fine but like we're not down the stretch we're at the end of the season this is go time
1: right? can i can i ask you something aaron
0: yeah of course.
1: What do you think the Mets' base runs expected record is this year?
0: Uh, so they're 23 and 27. You wouldn't ask me unless they were better than what they are right now. So my guess is 27 and 23. Let's just flip it
1: 28 and 22. Okay. This is, a- I mean, in- 28 and
0: 22 would be good for not tied for first place, basically, a, a down one game for first place, and uh, definitely in the playoffs. Yeah. But it just goes to show you that it's not good enough to be good on paper, Sam. You got to be good on the diamond. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so the playoffs are interesting. For what it's worth, Sam, I have the Braves getting in. I have the Phillies getting in. I have the Cubs getting in. I have the Cardinals getting in. Um, I have the Dodgers and Padres getting in. And then in terms of playoff spots, I have actually the Reds getting in and then I have Mets and Brewers above Giants. Again, there is no world in which I concede to the idea that I have to watch the San Francisco Giants play Asheville playoff baseball. Oh, oh, they're at neutral sites. But still, I'd have no interest in seeing them play clear skies or not. Um, and that's where we're at. But here's the question that has come up in the last couple of days, Sam are we going to keep expanded playoffs because there was this Rob Manfred situation going on where he's like, Oh, we're, you know, I I think those are going to stick around for a while essentially is what he said. And so the whole baseball world right now is freaking out. They're saying, okay, is this staying? If it is, this is why it's good. This is why it's not. Um, on the same episode of, uh, you know, the, the runaround on MLB network this morning, Tony Perez told, the other host, that his ideal playoff number is 16 teams. And I just about screamed in my car, like, it's not 16 teams. But there are some productive discussions around this, Sam. So we've talked many times about why 16 teams is not right. And we'll rehash it in a second. But I do want to throw a couple ideas that I've heard out there and get your take on them. Okay. So idea number one is, two 72 game seasons and the winner of each season goes to the playoffs in each division so that settles four spots and the other 12 spots are decided by overall play
1: that's a gimmick nope
0: okay you're a strong no on that so let me tell you why that appeals to me a bit okay. if we are so first off i, I should say that any entertaining of ideas like this is predicated on the idea that it's inevitable that we're having expanded playoffs. Because if I have the option to just keep it at 12 or 13 or whatever, um, I'm taking that.
1: 10 we're at 10 right now.
0: 10, sorry. 10, 10, 10. No, we're not. No, we're not. We're at 12. Six teams per league. No, it's No, five now. teams per league. Wow, wow, wow. Oh my God, this is so bad. So if I have the option to keep it at 10, obviously, yes, that's the option. But if you're telling me that 16 teams is 100% inevitable, I'm saying we need to do something to keep the season interesting. Because in an 162-game season, a 16-team playoff does two things. One that we've talked about many, many times, it, ge- it makes us all certain that over a 10-year stretch, we will see a 500-team win a World Series whereas that that is a possibility in any given season but it is extremely unlikely and it shouldn't happen. You want to see the best team or or a competitive I, best team win the world series. Can I
1: ask you a question before you move on? Yeah. So as, uh, Dan Zimborski the 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 creator of Zips tweeted and tweeted an archive paper about this when they when Manfred I saw
0: it. Yeah, I, I saw your tweet. It was good.
1: Do you remember the answer how many games does an MLB playoff series have to be? to have the same rate of the Beggar team advancing as a seven-game NBA playoff series.
0: Isn't it like 67 or something? 75. Yeah, 75. Like, they're already so random, you can't just throw a bunch of bad teams into the playoffs because you're going to get bad teams moving on. So what I'm saying is the 72-game season does two things. One is it makes it, it makes individual games more exciting because in a 162-game season where 16 teams make the playoffs, nothing matters basically
1: and there's there's no incentive to be good
0: there's no incentive to be good there's incentive to be 500 that's the that's all you want to do so that's number one number two is i do think it reduces the number of bad teams that get in by kind of splitting the season into two so that you have to make decisions as an organization Right, because you could have a bad team and go for it in the first half of the season. But if you don't make it and you're hovering around 500, and you maybe have a chance in the second half, but you know your team has overperformed. Do you tank a bit, you know, or bring up rookies to develop, or do you try and go for it? Um, I think that weeds out to an extent some of the worst teams. It's an imperfect solution, but I am 100% steadfastly against increasing the number of teams in a 162-game season because that combination makes no sense whatsoever.
1: But let's say we go to a 72-game season. No, 72-game split season. Yeah,
0: so yeah, two sorry. Seasons.
1: Sorry, split season. And let's say the team I, I root for, the Mets, let's say, make the, make the playoffs after the first half of the season. Why would I watch a single game in the second half of the season? Like, what do I kick?
0: I mean, seeding, the same reason you would watch another one, or but maniacal, like, but like, fan, just, or maniacal like, fanism like yeah. you have. But, I mean, you make a good point. But also from an organizational perspective, you might be like, okay, I'm not watching every game, but I appreciate that in the second half of the season, they are getting all of their pieces ready to play in the playoffs. So they're bringing up middle relievers, and they're bringing up closers, and they're bringing up uh, setup men and corner infielders and speed guys who they want to be pieces on the playoff team that they're going to assemble. Cause that's a totally different team and they're getting them ready. And I appreciate that strategy. So I'm still going to tune in cause I want to see how we're preparing. Just a thought.
1: Fair enough. I just think it's a total joke.
0: What I think is a total joke is Zach Gallen just getting rocked by every single Astro, except for the one that's on my fantasy team. Jose Altuve walking, Chris Brantley and George Springer both stinging the ball, but somehow it's staying in the yard. This is a guy who knows how to keep runs off the board. Watch out, NL Cy Young run. Um, this is Don't you wish it you still had
1: Jeff McNeil on your fantasy team?
0: Sam. So now that Sam has insulted everything I stand for in this world, I think it's time that we – Compare notes on the way the season's looked so far. So we talked a lot about where we're at, some news in the world. I I, I just cannot reiterate enough. Rob Manfred, if you destroy this goddamn sport by going to a 16-team playoff in a 162-game season with robo-umps and goddamn pitch timers and mound visit limits, I will lose my mind, but still probably watch because I have no choice. This year, we've seen a lot of things. I want to go through an award preview, Sam, and let's start with Rookie of the Year. Who do you have?
1: So in the AL, I'd say it's between two guys, Kyle Lewis and Luis Robert. I am going to give the slight edge to Kyle Lewis. He's been an objectively much better hitter. Luis Robert, I think, will be the better player in his career. But I think too much of his value at this point has been tied up in what seems like incredibly elite defense if you look at the defensive metrics. But I'm not ready to give him that full value from a 60-game sample. So I'm going Kyle Woods.
0: Yeah, this one's tough for me. Um Kyle Lewis, I'd say they're neck and neck. Like, I can't distinguish them. They're off by a tenth of a point in war on fan graphs. Um, Robert has one more home run in two fewer games. Uh, He's plated three more runs, stole five more bases. Um, But he's also scored five fewer times. His walk rate is uh, six points lower, and his K rate is three points higher. Three and a half points higher. This is tough. I think i give it to Robert. Um, but I think it's going to come down to the last week. If you're if you're asking me who I'd give it to right now, I think I'd give it to Robert. Can, can I ask
1: you something though? Yeah. Let's say Robert doesn't have the prospect pedigree. Oh,
0: Robert, Robert, sorry, Robert.
1: Let's say he doesn't have the the prospect pedigree that he has. Like you, you, you had never heard of either of these guys before the season, and you're just looking at what they've done like then are you still giving it to him or are you are you giving him a few a little extra bump because like you 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 you're projecting who he's going to become
0: no you know where the bump comes from and it's not fair but it comes from the fact that he has helped a team win i know that's not how you're supposed to pick these so i hear what you're saying i think numbers wise if if you had to give it out today i think lewis has him in the important category of war And WRC plus. No, but I I think a
1: tenth of a win in war is like whatever. It's 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 pretty much
0: the same. I mean, obviously Kyle Lewis has been a better hitter. He's walking more. Yeah. Um, he's hitting the ball harder. Um, but you do also have to acknowledge Lewis's BABIP is 370, while uh, Roberts is 307
1: yeah and, and so, i think and i think robert has legitimately been the best fielder in baseball so far this year he's it, been
0: amazing he leads outs above average
1: yeah no the no, no, whole american been, league he's been really he's good he's been absolutely incredible in the field i guess and really like i don't think you can go wrong with this pick so let's move on so in the ml the two guys i'm considering you maybe you'll disagree with me but The two guys I'm considering are Jake Cronenworth with the Padres and Devin Williams with the Brewers.
0: Well, yeah, I think um, Tony Gonsolin deserves some consideration. And certainly I think Sixto Sanchez deserves some consideration despite his limited work.
1: He just had a terrible game
0: today, though. Oh, did he get shelled? Because that basically puts him out of it. Yeah, he did. Um, So then, yeah, take him out of there. I think at the end of the day, the only guys you can really consider are your two. And I'll just explain why. Because Tony Gonsolin has thrown 35 innings. But he's been very lucky. His ex-fip is 434 compared to a 283-fip. And he's only 1-1. One in one. You know, he's got the 151 ERA, but he's playing this weird you, fireman role.
1: You did not just quote his win-loss record to me.
0: Uh, sorry, Sam. <laughs> I'm just telling you. But, look, he's playing this weird, like, fireman role with the Dodgers, which is similar to what Devin Williams is doing. But Devin Williams is doing something unprecedented. So, giving the rookie of the year to a relief, like, pitcher, kind of. Tony Gonsolin is also kind of a starter. But I feel like the the situation has to be exceptional. Uh, the circumstances have to be exceptional. And Devin Williams has been exceptional this season, striking out over 18 batters per nine and if you watch his pitch, his changeup is the best pitch in baseball right now, full stop. Totally agree. So while Cronenworth probably deserves it because it's so much easier for position players to amass the workload that we need to kind of judge them as a player, um, and Cronenworth has certainly been terrific on offense, good on defense, um, and has just a great slash line. His slash line is 310, 369, 531. Um, He's looking good. Um, I still give it to Williams because what he's doing is totally unprecedented. I mean,
1: I, I totally agree. Williams has literally been the best pitcher in baseball. He's insane. Um, I,
0: I, I mean, we've the only other stretch like this that we've seen is a Roll this Chapman immediately after he came to the Yankees.
1: Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. On a per per inning basis, best pitcher in baseball. I feel like I'm robbing Kruganworth almost, but like Devin, what Devin Williams is doing is so incredible that I, I'm gonna reward him.
0: I do just want to, like, shout out really quick Cabrian Hayes for the um, Pirates because I love this guy. He is, by all accounts, the next generation of great defensive third baseman. And, boy, have we been lucky to see a few in the last couple of years with Arenado, um, Chapman, Jose Ramirez for a while. But Cabrian Hayes is lauded as a defender. But what he's done is come up and played tremendous defense, already amassing one-and-a-half base runs in defense over 14 games. Which puts him on pace to be by far the best defender of the National League working class. Yeah. But he he also has hit the ball with an average exit velocity of ninety-seven miles an hour. He is absolutely tattooing baseballs. He's uh you know striking out a decent amount, but he is just destroying the ball to a 313, 389, three, uh, 583 slash line. Of course, it's only over 14 games, so he does have a chance to win this. But over 14 games, he's amassed 0.7 WAR, which would put him on pace to be over half a win better than Jake Cronenworth on a 45-game um, scale. So shout-out to him. His dad was a major leaguer, Charlie Hayes. He is uh, really good, and I'm excited to watch him play for the next couple of years.
1: All right, so let's now go to the, the Cy Young discussion.
0: This one's a good one.
1: So in the AL, I don't think there's a debate.
0: Wait, wait, before we do Cy Young, can we do manager of the year? I know it's kind of gimmicky, but I I, right, I like
1: it. Let's shoot let's do it quickly. I in in the NL, I actually think it's pretty clear. Who do you have? I think it is Jace Tingler.
0: Yeah, fine. I, I'm not even gonna argue with that as much as I hate it. In the AL, I think it's pretty clear. Renteria? I think it's Rick Renteria, yeah. He's done a good job. I agree. Okay, so I mean, also, there. also,
1: manager of the year is really just an award for the team that's been most surprising, but it kind of is, isn't yeah. it? Yeah,
0: it's kind of like I guess there is a consideration of like how much if there's two teams that were kind of surprising, you consider like how much did the manager play into that? So like, I think the Marlins are more surprising than the Padres, but nobody is like Mattingly deserves the award because their players are just like, you know, playing out of their mind. It's, yeah. It's, it's, so, okay, let's talk about the Cy Youngs. Uh, let's do the American League first because I think it's much easier. To me, nobody else besides uh, Bieber has a case.
1: Yeah, it's Shane Bieber. It's not a question. He's been the best pitcher in baseball. He's striking out okay. 14 baggers per nine, has a 1.74 ERA. Not He's striking really...
0: out 14 and only walking two in a yeah. and a quarter. Yeah,
1: and the 1.74 ERA is not really even luck from any perspective. He has a 2.14 no. FIP and a 2.12 XFIP. Leading the league in pitcher war at 2.9 on fan graphs. Although pitcher war is a bit, you know, you take it a bit less fabulous, granted yeah. than, than, than other war calculations. He's been the best pitcher in baseball this year. Let's go to the NL. Cause I think. That's,
0: whoa, 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 whoa. If you had to pick someone else, who would it be? I'm just curious. Uh,
1: probably Giolito or Maeda.
0: I would take Maeda just for the record.
1: Yeah. No, I, that's, I think. That's... Yeah.
0: Let's go to the National League. We're going to agree here, but this is a better race. So I think the guys that we're looking at, five guys, but in my mind really only four, and that's you, Darvish, Jacob deGrom, Corbin Burns, Luis Castillo, Trevor Bauer. I don't really think Luis Castillo has a case.
1: I also don't think – I guess – I don't think Corbin Burns is going to win it. Like I I think realistically it's a three-man race between deGrom – but hour, Corbin right?
0: Burns, like, has maybe the best uh, one of the best CRA, second best CRA, the best FIP, and
1: but the highest K rate. Like, I don't
0: understand why he's not in the conversation.
1: That, that's partially though because he was a reliever for part of the season.
0: But he's got fifty innings. I mean, he's only got like ten less innings than everybody else.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, I certainly think he's in the conversation. I think. He's been a bit lucky as far as as home runs go. Um,
0: definitely, definitely. I mean, his home run to fly ball rate is two point seven. That's not natural. Yeah. So yeah, you, you. But but you're right. Like
1: he he's he's totally should like should be in the discussion. And and also like this is apologies to Max Fried, who I think was solidly in the discussion before he got hurt and missed a couple starts.
0: Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, I personally give it to Degrom.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm worried, though, that the the his last start is going to screw him because he only got through two innings, gave up three runs. He was hurting during it because of these hamstring spasms. Uh,
0: well, it, and he, uh, one or two of the runs was inherited?
1: It Well, inherited, he's a starter.
0: No, uh, like the reliever gave them up and they were charged to him.
1: No, it was all him. Oh, okay. okay. He, he came out. He, he came... He finished the second inning and then did not go back out because of hamstring spasms. He claims Sam,
0: even with that, he still has the second highest FIP of any pitcher in the National League. He's still got the second highest K rate of any pitcher in the National. League. Oh, sorry, third to Trevor Bauer's twelve eight eight. He's eight, eight six. So that's the same. Um, and he's not getting lucky. His ex FIP is two fifty-eight, to where you look at Trevor Bauer, who's three eleven compared to two eighty-three real fit. like. And he's second highest in war still. I don't see how you can't still have him as a leader because you, Darvish, is going to get the most votes this year, I think, because he's seven and two, which is just absurd. But he has been lower in K rates, also lower in walk rate, though. So you got to respect that. 293 Babip is very normal, um, very low average exit velocity at 87.6. Great ERA, great FIP, a little. Um, a little lucky, but not too much, and a 2.5 WAR to lead the MLB. He's kind of a slam dunk right now, but he needs to keep pitching at this level. L- Listen, I
1: like I still think Degrom is the best pitcher in baseball, and over a full and if and if these guys pitch the full season, I think at the end of the year, there's no question in my mind Degrom's winning the Cy Young. Like he's going to mm-hmm. be consistent, do it over the full season. I'm just saying I don't think he's going to win. Because, like, okay. I,
0: just, who, I, I who do you think? I just said Darvish. Who do you think?
1: I think it's gonna be Darvish. I, but,
0: but I, I, think- w- I will say this, Sam. This race is so tight between these top five guys, maybe six if you include Nelson, fucking Lamette. Um, they, <laughs> Sam, Sam does the chef's kiss. Um, it's gonna be so tight that it's going to come down to who doesn't fuck up all the rest of the way. Because these six guys are each going to have one or two more starts. And whoever, like, goes two for two in their starts is going to be the Cy Young. In
1: my yeah. Mind. Well, Darvish, I think, wait, he went yesterday, right? And was pretty good?
0: Um, Darvish last went. That's actually a good question. Um, it looks like Darvish last went on the 15th, which is – oh a couple days monday yeah Yeah, um and he was of course very very good he struck out nine per nine um he gave up two runs over seven innings struck out seven only walked one did give up nine hits so uh, and one unearned run so not the best thing that he could do and let's make it known that bauer by the way is one start behind these guys so all the guys at the top of this list have had 10 starts except for bauer so um we'll have to see how that plays out but it's going to be really tough really it, fun Yeah to but watch. in a 60
1: game season like one fewer start can mean the difference between winning or not whereas like exactly. in in exactly. a normal season that's not going to matter. But
0: okay so now let's go to MVP and let's start in the National League because I love this race in the National League.
1: Yeah. So I think a couple of weeks ago you would have said this was a runaway for Tatis. He's been slumping a little bit. I mean, he's still been great, but he's been slumping a little bit. And I now view this as a three-man race between Fernando Tatis, Mookie Betts, and Freddie Freeman. Do you view it any differently than me?
0: I mean, if you're asking me who has a chance to win, who do I want to put money on to win at this point, I would agree. But it's not fair in my mind that Machado and Story are left out of that conversation. Because they have been equally good to those three guys, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, I think it depends how much you want to include defense in the equation right now. That's true. That's well, actually, true. That, that's not true with Machado, but I think that is
0: Machado's true. Machado's played good deep, yeah. but it is true with... And it's not true with Story either. Story's played better, deep than Machado by the numbers.
1: No, what I'm saying is, it de- for me, it depends how much you want to give players credit for the defensive value. I see. Yeah, I see. They've accumulated so. Far.
0: Yeah, because Story certainly hasn't been as good a hitter as everyone else. But when it comes down to pure hitting, the guy at the top is Freddie Freeman. He's Freddie. been the best hitter I mean, in the National. I mean, it's,
1: it's, it's Juan Soto, but he hasn't played. enough.
0: He hasn't played enough games. So then you got to give it to Freddie, of course. If you wanted the number three guy or number two qualified guy, Sam. Do you know
1: who it is? Is it uh, Michael Conforto?
0: No, it's not. It's actually Dommy Smith. Michael Conforto's four.
1: Yeah, I mean, but those, and and I'll note, neither Dom Smith nor Michael Conforto is going to win the MVP. But I bet Michael Conforto to win the MVP before we knew about a 60 game season at 100 to 1. That, just given how good he's been, was a great bet.
0: Well, I bet Trevor Bauer at 43 to one, and I feel pretty good about that. Oh me. wow. Oh,
1: you could still pull that out. Damn.
0: Yeah, I could definitely still win. One dollar to win forty-three. I, I w- sometimes I wish I bet more. But then sometimes I put ten bucks on Gary Sanchez to win AL uh yeah, home run crown. Let, and let's not just, talk about that. Let's not talk about that. So if I had to pick a guy today, I'd pick Freddie. Who's your pick?
1: It's also Freddie. Like I, I okay. I'm not saying I think he's gonna win, but I I think Tatis is gonna win. But Freddie is the guy who I would pick.
0: Yeah. I, Tatis is amazing, but I feel like the press just loves him. They love the story. They love the MLB feature. Freddie is not exciting, even though they could spin the COVID angle. But uh, nobody's calling me for journalism wrecks these days. So they'll just have to live with their sorry stories. Um, that brings us to the American League. Sam, who do you have here?
1: Oh, man, this one's tough.
0: So This one's tough. This one could be literally, I don't know eight players
1: yeah i think so guys who are in the discussion anthony rendon definitely jose ramirez mike trout of course jose abreu who's just been on fire uh tim anderson
0: mm-hmm.
1: who has really proven me wrong
0: I, oh and me I, I i made bets at the beginning of the season that it hit closer to 260 than 330 and let me tell you,
1: <laughs>
0: I I lost those bets, folks.
1: Uh, I think DJ LeMahieu is in the discussion. I think Nelson. Luke Cru- Boyd
0: has to be in the discussion.
1: Yeah, I think Nelson Cruz is also in the
0: discussion. Definitely. I definitely, this thing is deep in the American League,
1: and and I, there so. And honestly, you could you could tell me you voted for any of those guys, and I wouldn't tell you you were crazy. I don't even know what to say for who I would choose. Like, let's just wait 10 days. But I mean, like, yeah, I'm just going to default but to Mike Trout. I'm forcing you to
0: pick someone. I'm going default to, Mike. to Mike I'm gonna default to Mike Trout.
1: I'm going to default to Mike Trout because he's Mike
0: Trout. So here's the thing. If I was a writer, I would give it to Mike Trout as, like, a am sorry that you didn't win it all those other years. You deserved it. Like, this year is pretty much a toss-up, so we should default to you. But um, if I were honestly saying who I think deserves it this season – it's actually Jose Abreu, which really surprises me. But Jose Abreu has just been tremendous. He has been the best offensive player in the league, basically, since uh, LeMayhu doesn't qualify. Him and Nelson Cruz have been tied, and he's done it in the most impactful way. Um, he really has just made the most of every opportunity at the plate, um, As where Nelson Cruz has been amazing. I know we don't love these stats, but somehow Nelson Cruz has only driven in 32 runs to Jose Abreu's 51. That's that's saying something.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, I don't know if it is, but...
0: Well, okay, <laughs> fine. Uh, then I'll tell you this. Um, they're slugging about the same. They got about the same WRC+. Nelson Cruz is walking uh, 5% more. So then why is the performance three base runs fewer and four tenths of a point in war fewer when their defense is comparable. Is I, think just, I think it's just, I
1: think it's just plague appearances at this point. Um,
0: but the plate appearances are directly. I did, why does Nelson Cruz have that few plate appearances?
1: Maybe I'm not sure.
0: It's not getting pulled. But he also he? it's only, it's only 20 plate appearances. That's not the difference in RBIs, but it is the difference in war probably. Yeah, exactly. Um, All right. Well, that's interesting. This is a great race. We're going to have to see how it plays out. We'll definitely come um, back to you guys with more information about how these awards um, play out, but it's been a great season so far. And we're looking to see how things go. And with that, let's go into a segment that we've never really done before. You know, we answered one email last time, but we're going to do a full mail grab bag this time. We got two questions. That come from a really, really passionate fan, um, and we want to make sure that that we get to them. Yeah, both
1: of these are writing questions from Vince from New Jersey. Uh, The first question,
0: Vince, thanks for writing in. He says he's a longtime listener, first time emailer, Um, and Vince, we love what you're doing, baby. Keep those emails coming.
1: Yeah, so Vince, his first question was actually 11 days ago. He said, "Which players have the worst facial hair in baseball? Who is the best?" Personally, I think Robinson Torinos has made a number of questionable choices that are not working out for him. Should the league be keeping detailed stats on beard length so they can be included in advanced analytics? Do you think the lack of facial hair on the Yankees is contributing to their current slump? Now, perhaps this wasn't the most prescient question because the, the Yankees have since won eight games in a row, but uh,
0: yeah, in the 11 days since Vince from New yeah. Jersey wrote that letter, the Yankees have taken off. But I do think it's a reasonable question. you know, throughout baseball we see a lot of guys grow playoff beards. We see a lot of guys get superstitious. Um, and just when you ask about great and and awful beards, um, I got a couple for you. So let's start this year. Uh, an awful beard we saw this year was Kike Hernandez at the beginning of the year. He had a little Stonewall Jackson mustache combo situation going on that I respected the hell out of. Don't get me wrong, but certainly was not a fashionable beard um, in any way. And really, I, I haven't seen any uh, game-changing beards in the league this year, which is kind of surprising. So we got to go back in history, I think, Sam. Do you have any guys from the past whose beards you think are absolutely iconic or absolute trash?
1: Well, one iconic decision was the one made by Mike Fears to sort of do like a spiral beard on his face. This was while he was with the the Oakland That 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 is really etched in my mind. As far as the the
0: He's still with the Oakland A's.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, as far as the uh, as far as the Yankees part of the question goes, one one really you know vivid memory in my mind is when Johnny Damon, who had that incredible beard when he was on the Red Sox, had to shave it off when he went to the Yankees.
0: mm mm-hmm. But Sam, I want to get to some actually legendary beards. I mean, you can't talk about beards in baseball without talking about Raleigh Fingers, the original curler, well, the more original. Of it.
1: That's more of a mustache, yeah. I'd say.
0: I mean, it's facial Well, but mustache, beard. We're going to talk about facial hair in one go since the title of Vince from New Jersey's email was actually facial hair. No, um, it was, it was
1: actually getting serious about beards is the subject. Uh, of my ah,
0: ah, that's true. That's true. I'm sorry for – so, fine. Let me talk about a beard that I really have always respected, and that's Brian Wilson, ex-closer for the Giants and later the Dodgers. The The beard the beard this is a man who used to shoe polish his beard um just to keep it looking nice and i one time saw him in a mall in arizona and let me tell you this man was jacked up so that's a great beard from baseball history vince thank you so much from the for that question we have one more question from you that you uh, sent us recently and we wanted to make sure we got to them both because we appreciate emailing twice even though we didn't get to your first question last time um and the second email is about organ players so um Vince actually asked over the Dodgers Astros series that happened last weekend. Um, there was a uh, organist who actually was, we'll call it subtweeting tweeting um, players on the Astros by playing a very interesting set list. And I'll read you that set list. He played lion eyes by the Eagles. He played the sign by ace of base banging on the trash can by apparently just some guy named Doug metal health, Bad Guy, Video Killed the Radio Star, which I think is incredibly clever. Bang on the Drum, which is just too on the nose. Um, Truth Hurts, Shut Up by the Back-Eyed Peas, Got Yourself a Gun, Creep, You Haven't Done Nothing, Payback, Cry Me a River, Hard Knock, Check Yourself, and Bang Bang by Jesse J. So going hard on the cheating pun and hate yourself accusations. But Vince asked us, what are some of your favorite organists or disses that you've heard in baseball games? Can you think of any songs teams should be using against the Astros or other MLB players more broadly? So to answer the first question, Vince, um, one organist that I really want to shout out is Nancy Faust, who was really the first uh, female organist to play at a major stadium in the MLB. She was the organist for the White Sox in 1970. And when she became the organist, it drew a lot of ire from fans who said that a woman should not be, playing the organ at an MLB game, yet she persisted, uh, and she did a tremendous job for the White Sox. Uh, very uh, iconic Harold Baines call that she used to have. Um, so we are remembering the contributions of Nancy Foss to gender equality in the game. Um, on the other side of that, we have something more recent that more directly answers Vince's questions. Um, earlier this year, actually, we saw or read something um, very interesting. In August, uh, Blue Jays backup catcher Reese McGuire was arrested in a parking lot for masturbating in his car, which is never something you want to go public, but <laughs> it does happen. So when they went to play the Braves the following weekend, the Braves organist was nice enough, nice enough to play the song "Beat It" by Michael Jackson every time Reese McGuire stepped up to the plate, and I thought that was just about as good as you can get with like shady organist play at games.
1: Well. Uh- um, I actually have an example where I think somewhat where where a a DJ at a stadium took this principle too far.
0: Oh, what's that?
1: And that was when when Araldis Chapman came to the Cubs in 2016. Of course, there's the sort of the Araldis Chapman domestic violence incidents for which he served a a suspension, a real, you know, black mark on on his record. Really, really disgusting incident. the Cubs DJ sort of made light of the incident and played uh, the song "Smack That Bitch Up" when he came into the game. Oh, yeah, that is that is uh, taking your your DJ duties to a bit high level of poor taste. So don't go. No, that I mean part. I
0: love the idea of playing like songs that are like specific to a player's current situation, but that's just not a situation to make light of. Um, wow, uh, that's fired. tough. Do you have any ideas about good songs that uh, people could play for players in the MLB right now? Interesting. I have one, Let just you... because I just saw him on the screen. Like, I literally just thought about this. Let me hear it. Zach Granke's Zach throwing on the screen. I think Old Man by Neil Young might be a good song to, uh, to play for him.
1: That could be Because he
0: is throwing a 55-mile-an-hour curveball on a regular basis. So <laughs> he's pitching like an old man
1: yeah i think that's good of course the most iconic entrance music that i can think of is for mariano rivera and And sandman by
0: metallica that that was just that's That's tremendous yeah well vince thank you so much we encourage all of our listeners to write in with questions we're always going to get to them and have just tremendous discussion and breakdowns as you would come to expect so Vince from New Jersey, thank you. Uh, Keep writing into us, thealonzobet at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter. DM us. Shout us out on a regular tweet. Come for the great content. Stay for the great character, thealonzobet at gmail.com or alonzobet on Twitter. Thealonzobet on Twitter, I'm sorry. Um, And with that, we're signing off for the night. So thank you very much for coming, everybody. Um, We're your hosts. I'm Aaron.
1: And I'm Sam. That's all, folks.